0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm so glad that you're here. This is my friend, Bill Souders. And in just a minute, you're going to hear from him some of the ways God has been working in his life. Hey, it's almost Christmas time. You know this, right? So today we're going to continue our message series in the book of Philippians. We're going to look at this idea of joy. It would be really, really sad to sing about joy to the world. And miss the joy that God has for you. So today, this service is designed to help you open yourself up to a little bit more of God's joy. And one of the ways that we do that as a church is we reach out and we serve. You may have seen, if you were on Facebook, uh, our opportunity to support people who suffered in the fires at Gatlinburg and the Smoky Mountains. Many of you saw that, some of you didn't. Here's how we did that. We asked for those of you that saw that little announcement to bring cleaning supplies in today, and we'll make sure they get to where they need to go. If you didn't see that, you can still participate. We're gonna collect those between now and Wednesday. And so um, the church will be available to you, or you can drop them by the back door. We'll have a little bit more for that for you at the end of the service, a little bit more details. Or you can check in right now on Facebook. If you wanna pull out your phone, you can check in on Facebook. And for everybody that checks in. We have a donor in our church that's going to give $5 worth of cleaning supplies, so we could literally break the bank today. So if you want to check in right now on Facebook, say that you're at Four Corners. For everybody that does that, $5 will go to help buy cleaning supplies for families and organizations that are cleaning up from the fires at Gatlinburg and the Smoky Mountain area. Well, like I said, this is my friend, Bill Sodders and he's with us today to talk with us about the way God has been working in his life. Let me tell you a little bit about, about Bill. Bill started coming to our church uh, several years ago. He was invited by a friend, and he came with his family, and I think you kind of liked it, right? Very much so. Very much so. And uh, there has been some engagement seasons in his life and some seasons of a little bit more disengagement, but lately here's what he's been doing. He's been investing in our church staff in some leadership development. Bill works for Coca-Cola, that company. Uh, He works in sales there, and he's been taking some of his skills as a leader and helping develop our staff, and we've gotten to enjoy him and his friendship a lot, but what you may not know about him is that God is deeply at work in his life. So Bill, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up up at Four
1: Corners? Well, it was about seven years ago, and uh, my brother was coming to our house for Christmas, and he, his fiancée was very spiritually driven. So she just happened to do a radius uh, check. Uh, if we were going to go to church. Um, and lo and behold, she found Four Corners. And I walked in, and the first thing I see is, is uh, Todd and Kathy Booth. And I go, wow, Todd Booth, Christian, who knew? <laughs> Love you, Todd. <laughs> um, and there was this wonderful Christmas Eve Eve service, right? The music, uh, the, the, the message was incredible. The music was really good. And uh, something moved in my heart. Um, had not been uh, a churchgoer or a Christ follower. And I've just followed that path ever since. And it's led me to this stage today.
0: That's incredible. So um, you, you were brought. It wasn't something so much that you intended to do. You were kind of brought, but then it clicked for you. It did. And you mentioned the Christmas Eve Eve service, so I'm just a little little shameless plug. We have one coming up, Christmas Eve Eve, December 23rd. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But you found that meaningful. So you had these meaningful experiences, and they they drew you in, right? They did. Well, Bill, was there a moment where you really kind of said, all right, I'm in? So you're on this journey, but was there a moment where you said, I'm going to do this? Do you remember a moment? Was it a series of things? Was it a big deal? Was it more a series of smaller things? Actually, it was. Uh, it's really a
1: series of things, and I, I used to try and just intellectualize religion, and I, I would do it if I felt it, right? And then I realized that if I didn't, uh, if I didn't have a religious discipline in my life, uh, I wasn't going to feel it. So it's it's been uh, an incremental step. So I first walked in, and it was it was guest services that helped it click a little bit for me. You started serving there. I did. Yeah.
0: I did. So you serve on the greeting team, hospitality, we say, create a warm and welcoming place. Yeah. You started serving.
1: I did. All right. And then, um, what else happened? And, and then I started to uh, get involved in small groups. And then I started to lead small groups. And then I realized that I, start, I started to feel his calling and, and his, his, um, his voice in my life with each incremental step. And that's really kind of why I'm here today, yeah. is that it's the next step. And I don't know what the step is after that, but... He'll tell me and I'll take it.
0: Yeah, Bill's using a lot of language about next steps. Next steps for us is a big deal. That's why we do the Connect card. That's why we ask people every week to leave with an action plan. Because here's what we think is normal. It's not so much that you go from mountain peak to mountain peak spiritually. It's just that God has us on a journey where step by step we're growing, we're being made more into his image. We're going to talk a lot about that today. And step by step, God unfolds his plan for us. Now, when you look back, you can see monumental change. But at any given moment, it may feel like normal life. That's normal for a follower of Jesus. Now, Bill, your, your background um, before church, um, well, you had a life story. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about, about your life story. Okay.
1: So I grew up in Northern Virginia, uh, mom and dad, both loving in, in, in their own way. Both worked for the Department of the Navy. Uh, my mom in administrative capacity. My dad was a physicist, so he's a scientist. Um, and uh, no, no spiritual upbringing. As a matter of fact, my dad had a bad experience, so that wasn't something that was integrated into my life. But my grandmother was very spiritual, and she was just a piece of work. Um, and, and she was gonna save me from purgatory. So she would come and rescue me every Sunday and take me to what she would call the hookie dookie mass. Which was, uh, which was a mass accompanied by instrumentals. So it leads me to believe she'd be very comfortable here.
0: Nice. Bill, <laughs> so your grandmother sounds like my grandmother. My grandmother taught her kids how to read the Bible and how to cuss. So She did that too. <laughs> that was how my Sometimes grand- at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how these spiritual influences are, are in our life. Bill, recently you were involved um, with us in, in uh, the men's retreat that we pulled off, I don't know, a couple months ago. Anna, uh, some 55 men were part of that two day event. You helped that. And um, that left a, a, an impact on you, didn't it? Talk it did. to us a little about that event, why that
1: was meaningful to you. It was really meaningful for me. So there were, there were 65 of us that came together, uh, men, and basically what we were there to do to, is, is to learn how to take our, uh, our, our walks with Christ. And you get around a table and it gets kind of intimate and uh, men aren't very notorious for sharing or vulnerability but there was a lot of vulnerability that came out of that table and there was a lot of pain Uh, it was pain that i very much uh, connected with Um, pain's been a big part of my life and has actually led me uh, to christ it felt felt a big void and vacancy in my life and i sensed it around this table with these other men and
0: um, it's something that i think is part of my calling So, Bill's talking about the fact that sometimes circumstances aren't always pleasant. Uh, You can relate to that. But God has used the circumstances in Bill's life, even those that weren't enjoyable, to get him ready, to move him along his journey, to process him to a place where he's more open to God's work in his life. Bill, without being silly or overly dramatic, um, you want to share some of that pain with us? Sure, sure. I grew up... um uh, Mom and
1: dad loved me very much. My dad was a product of an alcoholic mother and an abusive father. And uh, that's how he parented me. It's what he knew. Um, so I, I lived in fear of him. And that kind of got ingrained in me as a hole in me. i was not worthy. I'm not, uh, I'm not up to snuff. So I would uh, pursue constructive and destructive means to, to fill that hole. Constructive ones were uh, I would look for anything that would give me some kind of path. One of them was Stephen Covey and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That kind of saved me in the mid-90s. That was kind of a format that, that worked for me. I tried to be a good husband and a good father, but it never quite filled that hole in. So some of the destructive measures I would, uh, I would pursue would be, uh, I'd go back to my Irish Catholic roots and I would drink, and I would use pornography to fill in um, what, what, what the other things couldn't fill.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about things that are deeply personal, but sadly, they're not unique to you. These are things that people go to. And so we believe that everybody has a God-shaped hole in their heart, that we were created. The book of Ecclesiastes says we're created longing for eternity. We're created to have uh, the spark of God in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll attempt to satisfy that need, that hole, with other things. And so some of us in the room, you can relate... You've used alcohol, there's pornography, there's workaholism, there's relationships, serial relationships sometimes as an attempt to fill Academia can do it. You can almost try to fill it with anything, but nothing does it. Nothing fulfills what God is meant to fulfill in our life. So God used these painful things. And you said that when you're sitting around the, the table chatting with other men, you realize that um, it's pretty common.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize the extent to which it was common. And that, I mean, as, as we would unburden each other's story, it was interesting how similar the pain and the stories were. And there just seems to be a, a yawning gap. And a lot of the men that I know doesn't have to be all family of origin. But it's like, if, if I were to use a metaphor, it's just like, I'm just not quite good enough. And uh, in the end, we really are. if We follow the path, and we invest in one another.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this idea that we're not good enough, that we're all being developed... There's a good side of that that pro- can propel us to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Then there's this destructive side that leaves us empty. And even the winds we have don't, don't satisfy us. That's true. So what is, what is God doing lately in your life? Take us over, I don't know, the last 12 months or so as you've kind of gotten a stronger sense of the direction the Lord has taken your life. What, what are you seeing? What are, what are a few of those um, experiences? And where do you see this thing going?
1: Well, he's—he's he's told me is, is stop intellectualizing and just do, right? Uh, I, I would talk go, about
0: that. So you would get stuck in kind of overly processing. Is that what? Would, I would, what do you mean by that?
1: I, I would liken it to what I'd call a spiritual roller coaster. Okay. Um, I, I'd be on a high, and that would be. And it's usually a, a byproduct of listening to your sermon, taking a step, uh, connecting with other Christian men doing what I know is biblically right, and then I'll get on that, and I'm at the top of the roller coaster, and I go, okay, I got it. And then I'll start to take over. And then what do you know, in two or three weeks, I'm back in the spiritual ditch again. Uh, so what I've learned about myself is that I, I've got to have a spiritual discipline, and it includes, uh, i gotta, I got to be here Sunday, and not just here, but i got to connect, you know, one of those connect steps. I've got to do that in my life. I've got to read, I've got to be involved in the Word, I've got to be involved with other Christian men, and I've got to take positive steps forwards because
0: I know if I don't, that spiritual ditch is just around the corner. Yeah, yeah it is. And so you've been doing some of these things, what, what do you think is next in your journey? So before we jump to the spiritual side of this, professionally, give ready a sense of just kind of what you do in your life.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm a director of sales for Coca-Cola, so I'm blessed to lead seven other people selling God's product. <laughs> that was not a joke. Um, and I've been doing it for 29 years, and I've really loved the leadership piece. But my, my, my calling is, is coaching coaching and transformation of people. And I think there's that, you know, that damaged part of me, there's that damaged part in a lot of people. And I can relate to that, I think, in a real way. And I think I can transform some pain so that people can um, have, have a higher, more more content calling in their life, that's my feeling, and I, I'd love to do it within the church to the extent that there, there, there's receptivity and a connection to the journey.
0: Yeah. So here, here's what's interesting. So sometimes when you think about spirituality, we think about it as this thing we're going to add on to our life. Some people think about it. or it's this big mountain thing that we have to go, go tackle. But what, what I want you to understand is that what's normal is it's just the next step for you. And sometimes it can feel like a small step. You don't realize how profound they are until you get way down the road and you look back how far God has brought you. And Sometimes God uses the things you're doing right now in your life, a job where he's responsible for coaching people, and he says, hey, what if we get it beyond just sales? What if you invest in people on a deeper level? And So as a staff, we've been sitting around, and Bill's helping us work through some of the challenges that come with running a church, and it's very, very insightful stuff, just practical management stuff. But beyond that, there's prayer, and there's encouragement, and there's talking about the mission of God in this world and how we're all, part to be, we're all called to be a part of that. And so, Bill, I'm really, really thrilled that God has you on a journey, that you've been faithful to it, and I'm really excited to see how God's going to give you the desire of your heart, which is to invest in people for greater purposes. If you were to try to put some of that in a sentence for us or two, how would you direct us as a congregation to, to pray for you and to encourage you as we see you around here?
1: No, thank you for the opportunity. I really in two ways, if you would. Uh, the first is that I continue to take uh, the next step, whatever that may be. I, I wasn't even sure that this was the next step I was supposed to take, but uh, I was told to get up and, and do it. And then secondly, uh, if any of you out there connect to the story or the pain uh, that I just uh, shared with you, um, let's get together. Let's have coffee. Um, you know, we're all just taking one big, long walk home, right? And I'd appreciate the company.
0: That, that's awesome. So after service, Bill will be out in the, uh, in the lobby, and he's doing this, you know, somewhat informally. But the nice thing about Bill, he's pretty intentional. So gentlemen, especially gentlemen, if you can connect with a little bit about what we're talking about, um, chat with Bill. You know, be willing to get on his calendar and uh, get together and make... Uh, the spiritual side of your life, a part of the conversation you have when it comes to the other stuff. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like for us to just bow our heads and pray for Bill and pray for a bunch of men out there who are on their own journeys. Bill, can we pray for you? I'd love that. Father, thank you um, that you reach out to us, that when we're not even pursuing you, you pursue us through things like an invitation, through a family member who insists on going to church, even through sometimes our um, our. F- family of origin stuff that doesn't seem redemptive at all. You use it all to call out to us and call us to yourself. God, it's not an accident that we are here today, and we're thankful for the journey that Bill has been on. We thank you, Lord, to you for the Spirit's call on his life and for his steps of obedience. God, I'm grateful for the friendship that has developed here and for his investment in the leadership of this church. Our prayer for him, Father, is that you would continue, continue to guide him direct him help him to be shaped and molded more into the image of your son that you would elevate him give him open doors of opportunity and great favor so that he could be an instrument of your good in this world we pray it in your name amen amen bill thanks you guys say thanks to bill Thanks, thank you bill appreciate it love you bro that's awesome well um that story is not shared to you by accident um so so much in that story that I wanted you to pay attention to because our passage today in Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, your cell phone, or the words will be on the screen, you can also find them there in your message notes right there on your seat. In Philippians chapter 2, we're going to talk about an interesting spiritual development process. And I know it's Christmas and all, and I should be talking about wise men and Mary and Joseph and all that stuff. I get it. But you have to understand, Jesus did not come into the world to give us a pretty nativity picture. He didn't. He came into the world to radically change the world, and it begins with him radically changing us. The most Christmas thing we can do, really, is talk about the impact that God wants us to experience as he intersects our lives. And this passage we're going to look at today, just the next one in the series that we've been doing for the last few weeks, is going to get right to the heart of that, and it's going to ask a basic question. It's going to deal with the basic tension in life, and that is, what part of my spiritual development is on me, And what part of my spiritual development is on God? What is this partnership of God growing me, shaping me, and molding me? What what is my responsibility, and what does God need to do? And our passage is going to answer that question in kind of solid form today. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I need you to pay attention today because this passage is specifically for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can ignore my words, and that's fine. But I want to ask you, I want to challenge you to not ignore the implication of the passage we're going to read from God's word. Ignore me, don't ignore the scripture, all right? If you're not following Jesus today, you're just not sure where you are, that's awesome. You're in the right place. We're so glad you are here. And you can pick up some stuff from today. But here's, here's what you get today. You get a chance to see what God wants to do in your life. You get a chance, maybe before you've ever committed, you get a chance to look at it and say, if I were to follow God with my life, if I were to commit to a relationship with Jesus, what would God really even do with that? You're going to get really behind the curtains look at that today as we look at Philippians chapter 2, really two verses, verses 12 and 13. So over the last few weeks, we've been trying to deal with 5, six, eight, 10 verses at a time. Today, we're going to primarily deal with two of them. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, when we read them, here's the background. Paul started this church at a city called Philippi. He pastored it for a while. It was a really, really rough start for him. He was in prison, falsely accused. He was beaten, ushered out of town. Um, It was really, really an ugly situation. Nothing went easy for him. And yet when he writes this church a letter that we now have called Philippians, when he writes them a letter... The most common word he uses is joy. His experience was anything but joyful. But when he writes them a letter, he keeps talking about the joy he had with them. Somehow, in a really rough situation, Paul was able to have joy. That's why we're taking these several weeks to just talk about joy. Again, we don't want you sing joy to the world and miss the joy God wants for you. So, Paul writes this letter, and in our passage today, he's going to unveil the secret of the partnership of what's our responsibility in our development and what is God's responsibility in our development. So, on the screen, here's our words. Therefore, Paul writes, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, and here's where our meat kicks in continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let's leave that on the screen for just a moment if you can. Continue to work out. In your sermon notes there, you may want to just circle the words, work out. Work out. And then just a few phrases later, the words, work in. Work out and work in. We're gonna use the phrase work out and work in, those two phrases, to identify our responsibility in our spiritual growth and God's hand or God's part in our spiritual growth. Work in and work out. Work in and work out. So Paul writes and he tells these Philippian Christians that he loves so much, that he has so much joy. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue to work out. That's our part, work out. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're gonna unpack that phrase today. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out refers to our part. It's something that's already in us. You've already experienced a new life with God. He's already redeemed you. You've already given him your life. And that thing that's happened in you now has to be worked out. It's not something you work for. It's already yours. It's much like when you in January, make promises with me to work out your body, right? We'll do that. Don't do it yet. You're just going to fail, right? That's the best time of the year. It's the best time of the year to carry a few extra pounds, all right? It's the most wonderful time. Anyway, so don't don't worry about it yet, but in January, you already have a body, but you're going to work out your body, right? And you're going to develop it, and you're going to shape it, and you have great goals, and And all that's going to be fine. It's not that you're going to work for a body. You're going to work out your body. This is the same thing that Paul's saying. There's a part of our spiritual development that's on us. We have to work it out. It's happened. You already have it, but now it has to be developed. It has to grow. The second phrase here is the phrase, work in. God is working in you as you work it out. It is this partnership between God and us. And it's a beautiful partnership. We work out, the Bible says, work out your salvation. I love this idea because it's not somebody else's salvation that you have to work out. It's your own. This gives us both an incredible amount of freedom because God doesn't want cookie-cutter Christians. How many Billy Grahams does God want in the world? One. Only one, right? Which is really awesome. How many Ben Hodges does God want in the world? One. One. That's my name in case you missed it. by the way. He only wants one, and that's really good for you. So there's incredible freedom in this. You just have to be the you God is making you to be. You don't have to be me. You don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to be some superstar Christian. You don't have to model your life. But you do, as a follower of Jesus, have to work out the life God wants for you. The salvation is already yours, but it has to be worked out in our lives. And then he uses this interesting phrase with fear and trembling. It's not that he wants us to be afraid. That's a phrase that hints at the seriousness and the intentionality that we're supposed to have. Not to put it on a shelf and say, hey, I'm in and I'm okay. But to have a bit more of a sober mind about it so that we say, this is something God wants to do in my life. He wants to grow me. He wants me to develop. He wants me to be molded and shaped. So work out your salvation, for it is God, let's look at the other side now, who works in you. Now that word works, both times in in, in Greek, it hints at the idea of energy. God brings energy, God works in you. We work out with energy and effort our salvation, but God is at work in us, and what is God doing? God is willing and he's acting to fulfill, here's our phrase, his good purposes in our life. The reason why we have to be active partners with God, according to this verse, is God has a good purpose for our life. And when we partner with him and do our part and work out, and we partner with him as he works in, then his good purpose in our life gets revealed. I'm just going to throw something out there for you to think about. I wonder if there's any part of God's good purpose for your life that has been yet undiscovered by you. I wonder if there's any part of God's good purpose for your life that there's still room for you to mine, to dig in, to mull around in, to contemplate, to see if there's any good left for you to discover. So your whole life, as long as you're breathing, God's not done with you. If you're still breathing, I know God's not done with you. And so what God wants to do is use every moment of your life to fulfill his good purpose in our lives. It's not that we get to do these things and just experience some personal joy. It's that we get to be a part of this partnership and God uses it to accomplish incredible good in our lives as he develops us. So I wanna walk you through three tools that God uses to grow me, and as he grows me, brings me his joy. And then I want us to talk about three choices we have to make in order to receive God's joy and to grow. So right there on your blanks, number one, here it is. God uses the Bible to grow me and to bring me his joy. This is God's part of the equation. God has given us the gift of the Bible. Bill mentioned in his testimony that he would hit these spiritual plateaus, you know, have some moment, and he'd be on a high, but the high wasn't sustainable. And what he's learning, he said, is that there's a certain amount of discipline required in his life. Well, that discipline is not something we make up. It begins with the gift, the gift of God's Word. Now, the Word of God is powerful because it changes our thinking. And as we think, so goes our life. And God gave us the gift of the Bible so that we could have our thinking challenged and changed. One of the verses I have for you there on your sermon notes talks in very short form how powerful God's Word is, is, is in our lives. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Here's what the Bible says. All Scripture is breathed by God so when you read the scriptures as if God's breath is blowing on you this is the breath of God the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that hovered over all of creation this is the breath of God then when God formed human beings out of the dust of the ground he breathed into it life and human beings were created this is the breath of God that Jesus, when he was raising up a sick little girl, the Bible says he breathed on her and she was raised up. This is a powerful, powerful statement when the Bible tells us that all the Bible is the breath of God. It's breathed out by God. And then it's useful. Let's see how the Bible works in our lives. It's useful for teaching us. That sounds awesome. Learn new stuff. Rebuking us. Eh. But necessary, isn't it? Rebuke is kind of a gentle correction, a little adjustment on our journey. Sometimes hard correction. So teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in all the right things, in righteousness. Right? So that the servant, the man or woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here it is. God has good purposes for us. And then he's going to grow us through the word so that we can fulfill all the good works he has for us with his good purposes. It's pretty powerful. So the Bible is powerful because it changes our thoughts. Sometimes people have said to me, Ben, I don't know that my faith is very strong. Well, the simple answer to that is how is your Bible reading going? How's your Bible engagement going? Because as we read and engage the Bible, believe it or not, our faith grows. It's really not a mystery. There's not a mystery for us to understand how to grow in our faith. God has given us the gift of the Bible. He takes that responsibility on Himself to show us what He's thinking. And as He's thinking, our thinking gets changed. And it's a really, really big deal. Listen to some of the ways. I don't have it on your notes. But listen to some of the ways the Bible talks about itself. When Jesus was talking to people, He said to them that the Word of God is truth. And truth sets people free. So wherever we feel constrained, wherever we're bound together, wherever we're we're feeling restriction, often what needs to happen is we need the truth of God's word to break those chains in our life. We need the truth of God's word to set us free. So if you want to change, start filling your mind with scripture. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man and the woman who meditates on God's word reflects on it day and night. It becomes strength to their bones. Philippians 4 and 8. Think on these things, Paul writes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 6. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua 1:8. The secret of success is to meditate on God's word day and night the Bible says. So God's word is a big deal. Here's a simple question. It's Christmas time. It's Advent time. We celebrate the coming of Jesus. But is he still coming into your life via the vehicle of God's word? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But I don't think sometimes we understand how much we are costing ourselves by not engaging the scripture. Most of us have a dusty Bible laying around somewhere. Almost all of us have a smartphone where it's accessible. And we used to say we don't have time for this, but the truth is, is God gave us fantasy football and Facebook to prove to us we always had time to spend 10 minutes in the Word of God. That's why he gave it to us, right? That's why he gave it to us. All right, let me tell you about another tool. Number two, he uses the Holy Spirit. He uses the Holy Spirit. God uses his Bible or the Word of God to show us a lot, and then he uses the spirit of God to bring power into our lives. So Romans chapter eight verse 11. "And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and it is, if you're a follower of Jesus, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you." First Corinthians chapter 3:18. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. Now remember, God's purpose for your life is not to make you happy. It's to set you up for every good purpose. It's to produce in your life every good work. God only wants good for you. And sometimes we think that makes us happy, but what He really wants to do, His biggest work, is to make you more like Jesus. And like a sculptor who has a Piece of stone to work with in order to reveal the beauty within, in order to reveal that statue contained in that stone, he has to begin to chip away. And so he pulls out his hammer and and his chisels and he begins to, to pound a bit. And it doesn't feel good sometimes. But when we understand that the gift of God's Spirit is there, to woo us, to mold us, to shape us, to convict us, to encourage us, to mold us, then what we get is we get an open conduit to the very good things that God wants for us. So he gives us the word as the substance of the change he wants to produce in us, and he gives us the spirit as the power of the change he wants to bring. You want to ask in simple terms, what does God want to do in your life? Is he wants to make you into his image. This is why he created human beings to begin with. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Let us make mankind in our image. And then that image was broken at the fall when humanity sinned. And ever since, God has been working to restore his full image in humanity. We can't do that ourselves, we need a savior. And so when we commit our lives to Christ, God deposits his spirit into us, the Bible says. And that spirit works from the inside. The word of God is outside of us. And those two things together make a powerful force of good and God's good purpose in our lives. But that's not it, let me give you a third way. God uses circumstances, God uses circumstances. Sometimes we don't always obey the word of God that we know. I bet you there's a gap for most Christians today in the room between what they know and what they do. And sometimes we don't always follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We don't always let him lead us. Bill said, you know, I'd follow for a while, then I'd kind of take over again. So what God uses then, in addition to his word and the Spirit, is he uses circumstances. Circumstances. And these circumstances gives us an opportunity to pause and reflect and say, is this a chance for me to grow some more? Is this a chance for me to lean in more with God? Is this a chance for me to go back to the word of God? So several verses in the Bible talk about this. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28, especially the first part of 28 and 29 deals with this. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. There it is again. Good purpose, good works, and good. This is good for us. And it's the lie of the enemy that would hinder us and make us believe that what God wants for us is somehow not worth it. It costs us. It's too big a price. It's going to rob us of something good or something we deserve. No, no, no. All of God's good things are good for us. So we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called According to his purpose, there it is again. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What he's saying is that God wants first priority is the image of Christ in us. And he's going to use everything for our good. Now, he didn't say all of our circumstances are good. He said he will use all the circumstances for our good. So I don't know what... Why all the problems in your life have come to you. I don't know if they're your fault, if they're the devil's fault, if it's somebody else's fault, if it's just a fallen world we live in. I don't know about the origin of all the challenges of our circumstances, but I know what God wants to do in them. He wants to bring them as a source of good. He wants to accomplish good in our life through them. Most of us, by the way, we don't see the light and change. We feel the heat and change. Is that true for you? you don't always just see the light and know the light and begin to do what we need to do sometimes you have to experience a little consequence in our lives and it motivates us to change you understand this as parents that's why you bring a little bit of punishment to your kids on occasion you say look we've talked about it you understood it and you just did it anyway so now we have to change tactics you don't need more light you need a little more heat and some of you it's heat to the seat others of you it's time out whatever right Whatever, but you understand the principle. I'm gonna help you remember this because it seems like just it being exposed. Well, God does that with circumstances sometimes because remember, He's not interested in just our enjoyment of this life. He's trying to bring joy. Sometimes He uses circumstances to remind us that it's not happiness but joy that He's trying to produce for us. So in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. It's a big deal for God to grow into us the image of Christ. So sometimes he'll put us in a situation to help us be humbled. Sometimes he'll put us in a situation to be tempted to anger. Sometimes he'll put us in a situation much like the situations Jesus was in when he lived on this earth, where he was at times lonely, tempted, he was abandoned, betrayed, People lied about him, all kinds of rough stuff he was in. But in all of that, Jesus accomplished God's good purpose for his life. And if these things happened to Jesus, why would we think our experience would be any different? He wants us to be like Jesus, and he takes us sometimes through things similar to what Jesus went through to mold into us the image that he is trying to create in us. That's why Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that Jesus learned obedience to God through suffering. I know we're talking about joy, but in the middle of your difficult situations, you don't understand sometimes, I forget sometimes, that what God is doing is using those things literally to set me up for his good. I've, we joke about it now, but 20, almost 28 years ago, um, Jill and I were married. And 27 years ago, we had our first big fight. Rough. I had been stuffing things down, you know, being really, really good, and letting her get away with everything. It's a rough situation. About a year into it, I had it. i was done. I'm done. And I let loose, baby. I don't remember what it was about. I really don't. I, we, we tried to remember. I don't remember what we were fighting about, but it was a doozy. And I remember laying there for the first time a year into our marriage, back to back in bed. Loneliest place in the world. Just inches from somebody I, you know, committed. My, and lonely as could be. Knew that I had made a terrible mistake and now I was stuck. That's what I thought. A year into the marriage. I thought, man, this thing is over. Well, God used that painful situation to make both of us lean in and start a journey of doing life together better and differently, more honestly. And it's not completed yet, but that painful experience started for us a journey that God's still working on. And we've learned to take a certain amount of joy in it. We can even laugh about some of those things right now because God brought about his good purpose. Let me now turn the corner and talk about the choices we need to make. So I've been talking about the things God's been doing. He gives us his Bible. He gives us his spirit. He brings circumstances to our lives. Let's talk about some of the things we can do now. So here's some things I can choose in order to grow and bring God's joy into my life. Number one, I can choose what I think about. I can choose what I think about. I know that's not the best English. I should probably say I can choose those things about which I think. But that just feels awkward, right? But just so you know, I know that that's not right, okay? So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Ephesians 4, through 25. Paul writes, he says, you were, thought, or you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Until you begin to change how you think, you're going to repeat the same patterns the beauty is, is that each one of the choices we have to make corresponds to something God's already done for us. For instance, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul writes these words. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Here it is again. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Now, for God to begin to change our mind, he's given us a great tool to do that. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the Word of God, and as we meditate on it, as we learn it, as we study it, as we memorize it, what happens is our thinking begins to change. We begin to see the world through the, way that, through the lenses that God looks at the world through. We see people through the way God looks at people. We see our spouse the way God begins to see our spouse. And the Word of God helps us as we choose to change our thinking. It helps us to think correctly and rightly about the world that we live in. And so that this gift of the God's word corresponds with the choice we made to engage it. And God uses it to change our thinking. I be used to think one way, but now because I read the scripture, I think another way. I used to look at my spouse one way, but now I'm trying to see my wife as a daughter of God. And I understand I'm going to be held accountable for how I treat his daughter. It changes the way I deal with her and I interact with her. She sees me as a gift God put in her life to do life with, to be a partner, not an adversary. And it changes the way she engages me. My kids are both there for me to enjoy and to develop, but also my job, according to Scripture, is to train them in the ways of the Lord. And so it changes the way we interact. I don't need them to just behave. I need them to internalize the values. And it changes then even the way we discipline We don't discipline to bring punishment, simply we discipline to bring restoration and growth. All that doesn't come natural to me. That comes because the word of God begins to inform the various spheres of my life. And the Bible is there, often unopened, but I make a choice to go to it to inform my life. Number two, I can choose to depend on God's spirit moment by moment. So God gave us his spirit, but we have to choose to depend on it and to follow it. So John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Jesus' words here, he says, take care to live in me and let me live in you. So the metaphor he's going to use next is to describe how it is the spirit of God is active in our life. For a branch can't produce fruit when severed from the vine. Nor can you be fruitful apart from me. I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever lives in me, and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit. It's not so much that you're a tree and now it's harvest time, so go find a bunch of apples and tie them to the tree to make it look all fruitful. Uh uh, that's not the way it works. The way it works is is God is in us, the Spirit of God is in us, and He's leading, and He's prompting, and He's showing us things, and we can walk with Him. And be sensitive to that because we're attached to him. But if we separate from the things of God, then it's not going to produce for us the fruit that God wants for us. Because fruit is an inside job. The Spirit is in us, but it wants to work out. So without me unpacking this much more for you, let me just ask you a question. Have there been moments in the last few weeks of your life where you knew you were prompted to withhold a word that you would normally speak? You are prompted to show kindness where you might normally show anger. You are prompted to reach out where you might normally withhold. You are prompted to be generous where you might normally hold in. These are movements of God's Spirit. And for people that are following God, they are prompting from His Spirit. And we can participate, choose to follow Him daily, or we can choose not to. The Spirit is there, that's God's part, but our choice is to follow it. And you can unpack that a thousand different ways, but I bet you wouldn't have to go very far to think about times you felt a prompting, a hunch, a nudge, and you simply didn't follow. Or you felt the prompting and you did. Some of you, in all sincerity, as I'm talking about the word of God here, you know God is whispering in your ear, it's time for you to take seriously engaging the Bible as a follower of Jesus. That's the prompting from God. And you have a choice now to say yes to that or no to that. God has made it available. That's his part. And our part is to choose yes or no. Number three, here's our third one. Did you realize that you and I can choose our response to my circumstances? So I can choose my response to my circumstances. If you want to know if you're following the spirit of God, here's a simple question. How's your prayer life lately? What are you talking to God about? But if you want to know if you're choosing your response to your circumstances well, some of our verses give us some hints at that. James chapter 1. Look at how James words this. This one frustrates me, straight up transparency. He says, Consider it pure joy. Ah, joy, you love it. My brothers and sisters, that's me. Whenever you face trials, hard stop. <laughs> Consider it joy when you face hard trials? I don't like it. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. God says, consider it joy when you go through stuff because it produces in you a certain perseverance. And that perseverance yields a character over time. Wow. So God is more interested in my character than my happiness. So when it comes to character, the Bible's not silent on this stuff. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Let's talk about those. That's what God wants in your life. So if you, for instance, pray and say, God, I need to be more loving, let me tell you what God's going to do. He's not going to make you feel more loving. What God's going to do when you pray, God, make me more loving, so be careful with this prayer, is he's going to say, I'm going to put you around some people they are going to be a little difficult to love. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to give you a chance in that moment (laughs) to be developed in your love. When you say, God, I want a little bit more joy, let me tell you what he's not going to do. He's not going to deposit happy fairy dust in your life. He's He's not. That's not what's going to happen. He's probably going to give you some hardship. And in the hardship, you're going to learn that joy and happiness are not the same thing. You're going to be able to discern that even when my life isn't the perfect little life I'd like for it to be, I can have the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord can be my strength. When you ask God for peace, he's probably not going to deposit in you a conflict-free environment. He's probably going to let you see some chaos and have a chance to respond to it. Now, here's, here's the fallacy of what I just said. It's not so much that we even ask for these things. Even if you don't ask God to produce in you love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, that's exactly what he's trying to do. So if you're a follower of God, whether you ask for it or not, he's giving you people that are difficult to love, to bump around with in, in life, to rub shoulders with, to work with, to go to school with, to be married to, to try to raise. That's what he does. And he does it so that you and I can learn how to love better. And he gives us opportunities in our life to have to deal with chaos so that we can learn that his peace supersedes our circumstances. And when he wants to build goodness in us, he gives you a chance to act very bad in hopes that we'll see the stark choice in front of us. Yeah, God does a big, big part in our spiritual development. But in almost everything God does, there's a corresponding, here's the part we have to play. Now, let me just give you a little insight into how powerful this is before we close. You, you got a sense from Bill's testimony today just how much movement God can do in somebody's life. Now, that's not the story for one or two people. That's what God wants for every single person. One of my favorite dead theologians to read is a gentleman by the name of F.B. Meyer. He was a pastor in London, very famous, a friend of another pastor, D.L. Moody. Here's how he writes... Here's how he describes what happens when people are open to the work of God in their lives. He says, when people are open to the work of God, cowards become brave. Obtuse intellectuals, which had stumbled at the simplest truths, suddenly awoke to apprehend the master's scheme. Such power attended their words that crowds became congregations. Christ's murderers became his worshipers and his friends. Councils of clever men were not able to withstand the simple eloquence of undisputable facts. Towns and countries were shaken and yielded converts by the thousands to the unlearned but fervent preachers of the cross. Such is the power of a yielded group of people. I don't think you comprehend how much joy God means for you to have, how much good purpose he means for you to walk in, how much good work he intends for your life to accomplish. But I know this, that until we actively partner with him in every good purpose, we're held back. Your life, my life is held back. This Christmas, we have a chance to sing joy to the world. But more importantly, we have a chance to experience all the good that God means for us. That's why he sent his son in the first place. So let's take out our connect cards and take a next step together or two as a congregation in that direction. There's God's part and there's our part. This is what you see in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, when it says, For God so loved the world, His part, that He gave His part, His one and only Son, that whoever would believe, that's our part, would not perish, but have everlasting life. So today, I want to give you a chance to take next step A that simply says, Today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. It's not so much that you do it all. In fact, He's done it. God loved So he gave, we get to receive, we get to receive. So if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd ask you to take that pen we provided and check next step A right there. Today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And when you do that, you're agreeing with what the Bible says, that you're not perfect. You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. No amount of good works will do it. But God has provided for you through his son, Jesus, a vehicle by which you can be saved. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection, we can have life and we don't have to do anything. We simply accept it and we say, God, I'm a sinner, I have nothing to bring, but I wanna accept the offer of forgiveness you made possible through your son, Jesus. I want you to forgive my sin and I'm asking you to lead my life. I wanna walk in partnership with you that's you, check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by. In a minute, I'm going to pray, give you a chance to talk to God. You can use my words, use your own, but do your business with him and set things right. Or next step B, today, I'm choosing to be baptized. Just a couple weeks ago, we baptized six people on this stage, and we celebrated the change that God is doing in their life. If you have questions about that or want to do it, check it, and we'll communicate with you. Next step, C, gives us a chance to memorize God's word. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, I'm gonna memorize this, these, these sentences, all right? So continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Next step, D, here's what it says. Hey, I'm praying for Four Corners Christmas Eve Eve service. So that we'll have many, many guests, and many people will hear and respond to the gospel. On that day, if you'll bring people, I'll give a clear presentation of what God wants to do in their lives and give them a chance to respond to it. So if you're willing to pray about that service, all that goes into it, would you check the box and let me send you a few ways to pray about it, join the staff in that. And next step, E says, hey Ben... Knowing how big that day is, I'm willing to invite some people to the Four Corners Christmas Eve Eve, which is December 23rd, Candlelight Service. Two services at 7 and 9. If you'll check it, we'll send you a couple tools to do that. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to bring joy to our lives. Father, I pray that we would understand the powerful partnership you offer us, that you have done an incredible work on our behalf and we get to choose to follow you in all that you're doing in our lives. God, I pray for each man and woman in this room that you would reveal to us, even as we're praying right now, what is our step to take, one after the other, as you're growing us and shaping us and molding us Father, I join and lift up those that are declaring, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Wash away my sins. Lead my life. I wanna follow you. Father, I pray for that work you're gonna do in this place on December 23rd, for all the guests that are gonna be invited, for all the people that are gonna take steps forward in a relationship with you, for all the hospitality that's gonna be shared, all the warmth of this place, but most of all for the spiritual harvest you're going to produce on that night. We give all this to you, Jesus. We pray it in your strong and wonderful name. Amen and amen.